Hello there and welcome to Fabulous Folklore, the podcast for all things folklore, occult and just a bit weird. I'm your host Icy Cedric, blogger, fantasy author and your guide into these rather mysterious realms. I've got some rare things to show you, so come on in, take a look around, but be careful not to touch anything. These things sometimes bite. Well, hello there. I hope that you're well this week. If you're listening to this before Thursday the 14th of February, I hope you have a lovely Valentine's Day. If you're listening to it on Thursday the 14th February, then I still hope you have a nice Valentine's Day. Consider this my Valentine to you. Now this week we're going to be having a look at roses. I can't believe I've never done roses before considering the amount of folklore that I've written about flowers in the last sort of two and a half years. But there you go. So we're going to have a look at roses this week. Now from poisons, every rose has a thorn. If you haven't heard it, uh, where have you been? But go and have a look at it on YouTube. To Cadbury's roses, these flowers have had a really strong link with love and romance for quite some time. But it hasn't always been like that. And incidentally, if you want to do something a bit unusual, if you want to tweet me at Icy Sedgwick, and that's I-C-Y-S-E-D-G-W-I-C-K, tell me what your favourite Cadbury's roses are, because I'm nosy. Anyway, so roses. When I was looking them up online, I was expecting loads of superstitions and legends and all that kind of thing, like you normally get with these kind of flower folklore ideas. However, what I actually found was quite a lot of myths related to them and there was a lot of things in the ancient world which is quite unusual. Hardly surprising though, they were first cultivated in Persia and roses also appear on wall paintings and personal items that have been found in Egyptian tombs dating all the way back to the 5th century BC. In that same century, the Chinese extracted oil from the roses that grew in the emperor's garden. Now this oil was so valuable that only nobles could actually use it. So roses have been part of human existence for quite some time. You'll also find, if you look into other world cultures, the Sumerian seal, which dates to around about 3300 BC, actually bears a stylized rose design as a symbol of the goddess Inanna. And roses apparently also grew in the hanging gardens of Babylon. So again, humans have been fans of roses for quite some time. But we're going to move on to Egypt, that wonderful magical place. And the ancient Egyptians believed that the rose actually held magical properties. And then balmers used attar of roses oil during the embalming process of mummies. There's also been fragments found in between the bandages and the wrappings on mummies as well. So obviously for some reason we can only speculate why they liked using roses quite a lot. It's entirely possible that it's because of the link with Isis. Obviously I do mean the ancient goddess here. She tends to be often equated with the likes of the Virgin Mary in later myth and legend and so on. But she is in Egyptian mythology sort of a deity in her own right. And her followers often added roses to funeral wreaths to indicate the passage of the dead through the Hall of Judgment. Apparently, Cleopatra actually covered the palace floors in rose petals when she was making a play for Mark Antony and also had rose water playing in the fountains as well. Roses also appear throughout Greek myths. They actually origin stories for the flowers. And according to one poet, when Aphrodite was born out of the sea, sea foam dripped off her and white roses appeared out of this sea foam. The white colour represented her innocence and purity. Later in life, by the time she discovered men, basically, 
she was trying to heal Adonis, her lover who'd been wounded, and she bled onto a white rose. This in turn created red roses, which represents her passion and desire. And I think that's probably the association that most of us would recognise now. Incidentally, when Eros and Psyche finally got married, the seasons actually scattered rose petals across the land in celebration. So quite a lot of people really like using rose petals for these things. If we move forward a little bit to ancient Rome, a lot of the myths are really similar. You just have to change the names between Greece and Rome. So where you might talk about Aphrodite in a Greek myth, it becomes Venus in the Roman myth, but the story itself is very similar. There was one that is a little bit different, and this is where the rose gets its name Queen of All the Flowers from. So Flora, who's goddess of spring, finds her dearest nymph has died. And she asks the other gods to turn her loved one into a beautiful flower. So Apollo, Bacchus, Vertumnus, Pomona and Flora all contribute gifts and the nymph becomes the rose. And this is where Queen of All the Flowers comes from. Also, there is an addition to this story in some versions of the legend that Flora ended up being struck by one of Cupid's arrows and the pain actually caused that to mispronounce Eros, which is his Greek name, as Ross and so Rose and then the flower got its name. And this is where it gets confusing because you get the same stories in both pantheons, but then the names get interchangeable. Another origin story actually concerns Cupid himself, which, as we've just seen, is Eros in Greece. In one variety of the story, he knocks a bowl of wine over and a rose bush actually grows out of it and it becomes dedicated to his mother Venus. In another version, he knocks red wine over some white roses and stains the flowers red, and that's where we get red roses from. Obviously, there's far more origin stories. Honestly, these flowers have more origin stories than Spider-Man at this point. A third origin story for roses involves Flora again, and Zephyrus, god of the west wind. Now, he falls in love with Flora, which is fine, except she only cares about flowers and isn't really interested. So, in order to catch her eye, he turns himself into a rose. She spots the rose, thinks it's beautiful, and gives it a kiss, which no doubt makes his day but also makes you question how much the Roman gods really understood about consent. Now, the Romans themselves, they loved roses so much that the emperors actually scattered rose petals across their floors, which maybe they got from Cleopatra. Guests crowned grooms and brides alike with crowns of roses, and they also created a lot of public rose gardens by the nobility. But it wasn't all sweetness and light because it is the Romans we're talking about. And according to an article I found in Rose magazine, roses also represented suffering and pain. Rodanthe tried to oust Diana as the goddess of the hunt, so Apollo turned her into a rose as punishment. This story in itself seems a bit odd to me, because Rodanthe is an actual plant in its own right, and it looks nothing like a rose, but never mind. There is an alternative version of the legend, in which Rodanthe is this beautiful maiden, and she's just got this army of suitors who won't leave her alone. She seeks refuge from them in Diana's temple, but because Diana's really jealous of the amount of attention Rodanthe's got, she turns her into a rose and asks you as into thorns, which just seems a little bit bitchy, but there we go. We're going to jump forward in time now from the Romans to Christianity. And Catnit at Your History notices the early links between roses and the Islamic world. There's a tale involving Muhammad and he apparently suspected his wife of infidelity. So he tossed a bouquet of red roses into a pool and the roses turned yellow to indicate her deceit and adultery. But because of this, the early Christian church rejected the rose because they didn't like the associations and incidentally they also believed that roses were originally thornless and they only developed thorns after the fall of man. So for a long long time roses were actually considered really not very nice flowers. But by the medieval period they've then become an accepted part of Christian iconography 
and Christians particularly adopted the rose to represent the Virgin Mary. So if we think back to Isis, we can sort of see why that may be. And in one of the stories, a drop of Christ's blood fell on a bush during the crucifixion, and then this ordinary bush became a rose bush. If you look on my blog, there is actually a painting by Martin Schoengauer of the Madonna in the Rose Garden, which is rather nice. Other people think that the white rose actually appeared when the Virgin Mary hung her coat over a red rose bush to dry. So she actually managed to turn a red rose, which normally represents passion, white, which normally represents purity. Other people think that the red rose turned white after Mary Magdalene's tears fell on the petals. So again, it's this idea of purification rather than the white rose being corrupted. So these Christian links might explain why knights wore roses during tournaments to demonstrate their gentleness. Now, according to Claire Namad, the Christian martyr St. Dorothea was also linked with roses. Now, she was sentenced to death for her Christianity, and his secretary, Theophilus, said, send me some fruit and roses, Dorothea, when you get to paradise. After she died, an angel actually appeared to Theophilus to pass on a gift basket of said fruit and roses, and the angel vanished soon after he'd handed them over, and, not surprisingly, Theophilus converted to Christianity pretty much straight away. If you ever see paintings of St. Dorothea, who's the patron saint of gardening, she often carries a rose branch and wears a wreath of roses as a crown. Now, I wasn't originally going to mention the Tudor rose because it's not really about folklore, but it's just quite cool, so I thought I'd mention it anyway. So, back before the Tudors became the ruling dynasty, the House of Lancaster were using the red rose as their symbol, and their rivals, the House of York, used the white rose. So Henry VII, who was from the House of Lancaster, defeated Richard III. He then married Elizabeth of York, who was Richard's niece, and in so doing, combined the two colours and created the Tudor rose, which is the one that you may have seen, which has got a white rose at the centre and then a red rose behind it. And to be honest with you, it's basically an early form of branding, so he's trying to show that his rule is legitimate because he has essentially not got that strong a claim to the throne compared to Richard III, who he's deposed. So he marries the previous king, Edward IV's daughter, uniting the war on houses, and he does all this through flowers, which is kind of cool in its own way. But we're going to get on to rose superstitions now, because obviously this is folklore we're talking about. And the giving of roses is quite a time-honoured tradition in the Western world, particularly on Valentine's Day. But there are, as with anything, some superstitions around the practice. So if you're cutting a rose from a bush, be careful that no petals fall from the flower. Otherwise, you'll have bad luck. In Italy, there's a belief that giving a a rose that's in full bloom actually brings death to the recipient. So pick either rosebuds or flowers that haven't opened fully if you want to give someone a rose as a gift. Margaret Baker claims dreaming of red roses is a sign of success in love and good luck. And she says that in Scotland, if a red rose blooms in autumn, it actually means a wedding's on the way. Unfortunately, if a white rose blooms a second time in late summer, that's actually a bad omen. She doesn't mention what happens if you've got pink, orange or yellow or any other kind of roses grown in your garden, but there we go. She also notes the practice of planting rose bushes on graves and a red rose spoke of the goodness of the deceased while a white rose marked the grave of a virgin. And on a slightly weird note, in the Tyrol, an alpine rose growing on the roof would apparently protect the house against lightning strikes. 
Now, there's a bit of an odd concept surrounding roses that you don't get really with any other flower, and that's the term sub rosa. Now, this Latin phrase literally means beneath the rose. And in ancient societies, particularly Roman Greece, if you hung a rose from the ceiling, then it meant any conversations that happened below it should be kept confidential. Where does that practice actually come from? Well, for the Greeks, again, it often refers to the gods, and in this case, Aphrodite gave Eros a rose. He, in turn, gave it to Harpocrates, who was actually the god of silence and some people think this means he was basically saying don't kiss and tell but it then started the notion of roses and secrecy. The Romans actually continued the practice in their dining room so that they could then sit and discuss things, probably matters of state without worrying that they would be getting passed on and it then continued into the Catholic tradition and some confessional boxes are marked with roses. The Jacobites who basically were trying to depose the Hanoverians in 1745 adopted a white rose as a symbol in Scotland due to their need for secrecy. You do sometimes get plaster ceiling roses which basically some scholars think took over from the idea of hanging a rose from the ceiling and you do still actually see them today. There is an image of one on my blog and this one's actually from 1880 and it's got a gas pipe in the middle which shows it would have once been used as a light fitting. So if you're ever renovating an old property and it has a plaster ceiling rose before you take it out Think about if you'd like any conversations underneath to be kept secret. And we're going to end on the Victorian language of flowers because you can't really go most places in folklore without bumping into this at some point. And essentially, if you've never come across floriography before... It just means that the Victorians, because they were so repressed and couldn't ever say what they actually meant, they would send flowers and the type of flower sent would then indicate what you actually meant, which is why we looked at snowdrops last week and they were basically asking, is there any hope of a relationship here? And it just meant that you could send an entire message just by choosing what was in the bunch of flowers incidentally chosen. Where we see roses as basically meaning romance, so we see that as a very quite straightforward meaning. The Victorian language of flowers actually also took their colour into consideration. Now, I've looked at about 18 different lists of what the colours mean, so I've basically put together an aggregate of the different variations. Some people may disagree. That's fine. Let me know if you've heard anything else. Generally speaking, white roses represented innocence and chastity. Red roses meant I love you, and they stood for unconditional love, which is why, incidentally, they're actually quite a bad choice for first dates, because that's basically coming on a bit strong. Dark crimson roses meant that you were in mourning. Orange roses meant you were fascinated. White roses with red-edged petals actually meant unity, and I think that dates back to the white and red Tudor rose and the fact it united these warring families. Pink roses represented elegance, but also platonic love. So if you wanted to send a bunch of flowers to one of your best friends, you could then send them pink roses without worrying they would be misinterpreted. Yellow roses are a funny one though. For most of the lists I looked at, represent infidelity and jealousy, which goes back to this Islamic story. So I think that's where that idea comes from. But then a lot of more modern sources say that yellow roses represent friendship or joy. There aren't any stories that I've found. There may be some, so if you do know them, let me know, but I can't find anything that backs them up. But I did come across a theory that florists changed the meaning to actually help sell yellow roses, which is entirely possible. And they're quite nice, so I'd, th- I'd rather they represented friendship or joy than infidelity and jealousy, but there you go. But as you can see, there is a lot more to roses than initially meets the eye. That's not even covering their magical uses as well, but we've only got a certain amount of time to cover these things. So, why don't you head over to my blog post, which is www.icysedgwick.com forward slash roses hyphen folklore. Drop me a comment. 
let me know your favourite Rose related story or alternatively just ping us a tweet on Twitter or leave me a comment on Facebook wherever you find me online and let's be honest I'm in most places so if you enjoyed this podcast please feel free to leave me a review wherever it is that you listen to them and I will see you next week when we're going to have a look at the folklore of another February related flower so until then tatty bye have a lovely valentine's day and i'll see you soon cheerio